Well, I'm excited to be here today and uh, excited to be filling in the next couple of weeks while Patrick is away. So I guess they're on a boat, on a cruise somewhere, and we are here where the temperatures are going to continue to drop, but uh, that'll be all right. If you want to be opening up, Patrick started a series a couple of weeks ago on spiritual disciplines and then started talking about prayer, and we'll continue to talk about prayer. And so if you want to be opening up to Luke chapter 11, we'll be in Luke chapter 11 in just a minute. Maybe you've got a Bible with you, maybe you've got a tablet or some kind of device you use, and that's fine, but be opening up there. And I want to kind of set up this this kind of getting into prayer by, by first talking about something else that I like to do. Any, anybody familiar with Sudoku, the little number puzzles, Sudoku that you sometimes do? And I like Sudoku and, and I like, you may do it on like a, on a, on a phone or something. I have to, I'm old school. I've got to have a book with a, a pen or a pencil and I like to write it down, right? And the thing I like about Sudoku, it's sort of therapeutic. It sort of just can, you can block everything else and just get lost in it. But the other thing I like about it is that you don't, I don't ever write a number down until I am certain of where it goes, right? If, and if you came to me and said, well, I want to learn how to do Sudoku, I could easily teach you how, not because I'm a good teacher, but because you're smart and you could figure it out. And there's, there's boxes and there's rows, there's columns, and, and I could explain to you, and you could pretty quickly be filling it in and you'd, you'd be doing really good. And, and we can be certain of where things go. And that's the one piece of advice I would give you if I was teaching you how to do Sudoku, is I would say, don't put a number down until you are certain of where it goes. Now, when it comes to prayer, I would say something quite different. I would say with prayer, I'm not certain how it works. I'm not exactly sure what makes prayer work, or when prayer works, and when prayer doesn't work. it's, It's not as certain to me, not that we shouldn't pray, not that it doesn't work, but I just don't always know when and how. And so we're, we're, gonna, we're about to see where the, one of the disciples comes to Jesus. And in fact, we'll just start with this text in Luke verse 11 and, and listen to what happens here. In verse 1, it says, One day when Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. And I can imagine the disciples are now all sort of leaning in. If they're sitting around, sort of, they're trying to get a little closer because one has just said, Jesus, teach us to pray. Lord, show us how to do this. And they've got this advantage that we didn't have. They could just ask him, hey, how do we pray? And they're probably thinking, man, and this was a normal thing. This verse one where Jesus went off to pray, this was a regular thing that he did. In Mark chapter one, when Jesus first begins his ministry, They spend the night at a house, and the next morning the disciples wake up, and Jesus is gone. And they go and they look for him, and finally they track him down, and he's gone off somewhere to pray by himself, and they find him. As you continue on, he gets ready to select his disciples. And what does he do? He stays up all night in prayer, and he prays all night about it before he chooses his disciples. And then in Matthew, later on in Matthew, Jesus has just finished teaching to a large crowd. In fact, it was such a large crowd that he had to feed them all. And so he's fed 5,000 people. He sent them on his way. And then he tells the disciples, why don't y'all get in the boat and go across the lake? And I'm going to go up in the mountain to pray for a little while. And so he goes up and prays in the mountain. And then later he just comes walking across the water to meet up with the disciples. No big deal, right? I mean, that's just... But this was a normal thing for Jesus. So the disciples are going, man, he's been gone for hours. I, I, I don't know how long it was, but... So, hey... Jesus, why, teach us how to do that. Teach us how to pray. And they're probably thinking, 
man, we're going to get, he's going to take us to the spot, right? I mean, Jesus is going to take us to the, the spot that he goes to. He's going to show us the posture that he's in when he prays. Maybe it changes every 30 minutes. They don't know, but man, we're about to get the tips. And think about people have written books on prayer. We could have a seminar, we could have a conference, and people would probably pay money to pack this building out to learn how to pray like Jesus prayed. And so that's what we're about to see is they say, Lord, teach us to pray. And watch what happens. This is fascinating to me. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who sins against against us. And lead us not into temptation. That's it. <laughs> that's, how, that's how he sh- teaches them to pray. It's that, I mean, I could read it again. It's so short. We could go over it again. Hallowed be your name. It's daily bread. It's forgive us our sins, and we're certainly going to forgive those who sin against us. And one last thing, lead us not into temptation. And then he's done, he tells a story about uh, somebody who has company come in the middle of the night, and he has to go next door to, to get bread from his neighbor. And then he talks about how we as, as humans can sort of try to do our best to give our children what they need. And so then he says, how much more is the father going to give you good gifts? And he ends it down at the, in verse 13 by saying, he gives the Holy Spirit to those who ask him, which I think is incredible. But again, we go back to, they say, Lord, show us how to pray. And it's just this short little prayer, right? And there's a part of me that that's helpful, right? Because the Man, the getting up early and going out for two hours and praying every morning doesn't happen a lot in my life. And I'm probably the only one in here, right, that would say that. But, um, but that's hard. And so Jesus gives them a little pass. He says, here's how you pray, and it's really short, and it's helpful. We're going to go, before we transition over to Matthew chapter 6, I want to share with you from another uh, who I would consider to be an expert on prayer. Anytime that I'm going to speak, I try to ask other people, what do you think? Or what do you, hey, I've got to talk about prayer. What would you say? And so I was talking to my five-year-old, Katie, and I said, Katie, what, what is prayer? And I've actually got a quote that I'll read, and, um, and, and we've got a little, little slide to show you. But she said, it's a song you sing, because sometimes we sing this, you know, God our Father, God our Father. We do that prayer sometimes, maybe you did with your little children. So she says, it's a song you sing, but you're singing, dear God, talking while you're singing. You are my Lord. Can you get me a pet dog? <laughs> Yeah, so, so I thought, you know, we need to hear from Jesus on how to pray, but we can also hear from Katie on how, and she's got some good ideas. In fact, one time she said to me, one time she said, Daddy, I prayed about it, so it's going to happen. And I thought, wow, that's, man, that is faith right there. Um, so, so Matthew chapter 6, if you want to flip over there with me, a similar, similar to what we just read in Luke, but it's a little different this time because Jesus is talking to a bigger crowd in the Sermon on the Mount. This isn't just to his disciples. But he's talking about prayer, and before he talks about prayer, he talks about giving to the needy. He talks about doing acts of righteousness, and there's sort of this theme. He says, when you do that, don't make a big deal about it. Sort of do it in secret. Make sure, you know, you don't need to make sure people see it. And then he, he talks about prayer, and then he talks about fasting. He says the same, th- same thing about fasting. Don't make a big deal about it. Don't make sure everybody knows, hey, it's been several days since I've eaten. Man, this fast is really, uh, no, he says, just quiet down. And so let's listen to what he says about prayer. In Matthew 6, verse 5. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, 
standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And I'm a very visual person. I, I, I learn by seeing things. And sometimes if I can't see it, I, will, I have to picture it in my mind. So I remember reading this growing up and picturing myself going into my room and closing the door and praying. And, and that's good. And certainly we all hopefully have those times. But, but I think the, the point Jesus is making here is don't do it to be seen. You don't have to announce it. You don't have to say, hey, we're praying over here. But you can do it anytime. And so I'm, as you're driving down the road, you can pray. You don't have to let all the other cars know, hey, pray, this, this car's praying right now. But you can do it while you're driving down the road. You could be in an elevator. And as that elevator goes up, you don't have to make a big deal about it. You can be in prayer. You don't have to bow your head and close your eyes. You can pray with your eyes open, I think. But you can pray anytime. You can be in line. I've kind of thought about this. Maybe this is a new, you know, I, I can get frustrated in line because we should have everything right when we want it, right? And we should have to wait for it. We should just get it. And I thought to myself, as I've kind of been looking at, you know, maybe, maybe when I'm waiting for something in line, maybe that's a good opportunity for me to pray. And again, I don't have to tap the person in front of me and say, hey, I'm, I'm praying behind you here. I don't have to turn around to the person behind me and say, hey, pray, I'm praying up here. I can do it without anybody seeing, but that's, a, that's just an opportunity to do it. So I think the point Jesus is making here is pray whenever you can, but you don't have to make a big deal about it. And again, he's going to give me some, some freedom here. He says, when you pray in verse 7, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. It can be short. It can be quick. Now, there are times where you pray. I remember learning to pray from a guy when I was in college, and this was a guy a few years older than me, and he was, he was a med school student, and so he would, he would say, come on over to the church building, and uh, I'll be the, he would go to the church building to study. I guess there were just no interruptions on a weeknight. That was a place where he could just get away and, and study, and he'd say, well, why don't you swing by church, and we'll pray later, and so I would swing by at some point, and he would start praying, and I mean, he would just go on and on and on and pray for things that I never thought to pray of. And I learned so much from that. But I think Jesus is reminding us there are times when you don't have to go on and on and on. And this next verse is, is sort of the key concept, and it's, it's kind of behind that. And this is where I really want us to sit for a few minutes and unpack this. But he says this, Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. What an incredible verse. What a powerful, and this to me is, is the, the key to this whole thing today, is for us to understand this phrase, your father knows. He already knows. I kind of, a couple weeks ago was praying about something and I, I didn't know what was best. And, I, and I, then I remembered this, I well, you know. He knows what's best, it does, you know, and, and so we, we can always fall back on God. You know, whatever your will is, let that be, let that happen. I may not know what that is yet. And so I was looking, really looking into this verse, and I am, I am no Greek scholar by any means. I took a Greek class a long time ago, and I had a wonderful Greek professor. But um, so I was looking back at this Greek word, knows. It says the Father knows. And it's a cool word because it means 
that he has perceived or seen, and that's how he knows. And so, I, the, the, and, and again, I'm a, I'm a visual guy, so I'm thinking in my head, well, what does that look like? And the best thing I can come up with, and I, sometimes I'm better off just to, but, but the best thing I can come up with is this. If I'm walking out of a store, let's say I'm walking out of a store with one of my kids, and as we're walking out of that store, my eyes are immediately scanning the parking lot. Is there a car coming that way? Is there a car coming that way? Is there a car coming that way? Oh, stop, we got a car. I've already seen it, and I can tell them to stop because they might not be looking for cars, right? Hopefully they are. And we've told them a million times, let's always be looking, but they might not. And so I've already seen it, and I've stopped it. Now, that's about as far as my power can go. There are things that I can't see, but God can see and has already seen everything, and he can stop it. And the cool thing about this word, the other cool thing about this, and again, I'm not, a, I'm not really a grammar guy, but in, in the Greek, there's a perfect tense. And what that perfect tense means is this is not just one time, like, well, he, he knows right now, or he knew at that point, but this means that he knows and he will continue to know. No matter what happens, no matter what goes on, God will always know exactly what we need. And so I think it's really important for us. And I think it's, what if we could kind of develop muscle memory, so to speak, of this right here that God knows. God knows what we need. And so what if I, I believed that so much, that was natural to me, to where when things happened in my prayer life, I could start to pray, but I could say, God, you already know. I don't know what to ask for right now, or I don't know what the outcome is here, or I don't know what this looks like, or I don't know how I'm going to make it through this, but then I could say, but man, but God, you already know. You know, it's, it's sort of like riding a bike. You know, if, if you've ridden a bike, you can just hop back on that thing and you know how to balance and you don't have to put the training wheels back on. You sort of remember how to do it. I was actually talking to Mark earlier and asking him about music. I said, I imagine music is, is similar. And he said, it is. You learn how to play the guitar. And he said, once you learn the chords, it's sort of muscle memory. And then he said something I didn't, didn't even think about or expect that I thought kind of tied into this perfectly. But he said, you know, you start to learn the chords and you're starting to learn music. But he said, once you start to learn to transition between the chords, that's when it becomes beautiful. That's when it gets, I thought, man, what, what if this was something that was so natural? Man, it could just be beautiful. When bad things happen, when good things happen, no matter what happens, this is where we go. We say, God, you know, you know what's best. You already know what we need. And so I think this is a, this is a key thing for us to hone in on. In fact, I'm, I haven't yet, but I'm going to underline this. And then to, to me in my Bible, I don't write very much in my Bible. But if it's really important, I don't underline, I draw a box around it. I'll pick out like a phrase and I'll just box that phrase in. And so I think I'm going to do that in my, in my Bible in Matthew chapter 6 here. Um, we're going to flip over to, to Acts chapter 12. And that's where I think we'll spend the rest of our time. And the thing that we're going to read something that happens in Acts chapter 12 here, and we talked about the disciples earlier, how they basically had a front row seat. They got to ask Jesus, hey, how do we pray, right? And now we're going to see what, what happens in Acts after Jesus is gone, and we're going to see how they pray. And I'm going, to, I'm going to be honest with you, I've been comparing myself to the disciples a little bit here, okay? And I try not to compare myself. I have sort of a rule, and I think my mom sort of ingrained this with me, when I was young, and she would say, don't worry about what others think, but in a way, I think she was, as I've gotten older, she was saying, don't compare yourself 
to others. And I try not to do that because I don't have to look around very far to find somebody uh, better looking than me. They're almost everybody in this room. Um, I don't have to look around, flip too many channels to see somebody who can throw a football better than I can, right? Because those guys are making millions of dollars and nobody's paying me to throw a football. Now, at moments, I kind of think, hey, I think I could throw it like that guy does, but, uh, but not really. But, um, so I try not to compare myself, but I'm, I'm going to compare myself a little bit to the disciples here. But not really to feel better about myself, but more to look at them and say, man, they made some mistakes, and I make some mistakes. They're, they're real people just like we are, right? I mean, they're just normal guys and girls, and, and just the, the, the church were just normal people like us. They just lived a couple thousand years before we did. But I want us to pick up in, in Acts chapter 12 here, and I'm just going to start reading to you. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. And when he saw that this pleased the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So what happened is Herod has had, had James executed, and he, everybody liked that. The, all, all his people really were excited about that, and they patted him on the back. They said, Herod, you're a great king, and we really appreciate everything you do for us. And you're, you're, Have I told you how wonderful you are lately? And so Herod said, man, this is going really good. We, we ought to do another one of those, right? We can do more of that. that you know, man, that'll feel good. Everybody's going to tell me how great of a, a ruler I am. So, so he arrests Peter, and he has him thrown in jail, and he's being guarded by 16 soldiers, and he's chained up. So he's got a plan, man, we're going to do another one of these things, a public trial, and we know how the trial is probably going to end, right? And so that's, what, that's his plan. So Peter, verse 5, was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. I, don't, I, I thought about just scratching this out of my, my lesson because I, I read that phrase and I thought, man, isn't it important for the church to turn to prayer during difficult times. And this morning, we've got the awaken thing going on where we're praying for people all, all around us, all over our community. Uh, this is a church I've, I've been prayed for multiple times this morning. I mean, this is a praying church. And it's awesome to be, to be in a place that's already doing this, to be a part of a church that earnestly prays continuously. Uh, it's a thing that goes on regularly. Something bad doesn't have to happen. This church is just in prayer. But sometimes it's a good reminder, oh, that's right, we should, keep, we should keep doing that. And that does matter. So the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers. Bound with two chains and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said. And the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison. But he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself and they went through it. And when they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything 
the Jewish people were anticipating. This is, I mean, this is worthy of a movie right here. Peter is in prison. He's got chains. He's got guards on either side. He's got guards lining the, the exit to the prison. And in the middle of the night, while he's sleeping soundly, an angel shows up. Chains fall off. They walk by the guards. They get to this big iron gate. I mean, I'm picturing one of these big iron gates you see, you know, leading into a castle. I don't know what kind of gate it was, but, you know, the ones that raise up. And, it, and the gate just opened. Just poof, out they go. No big deal. Oh, and then the angel just gone. Pretty cool story. Pretty incredible. And, and so cool that Peter's like, this is a cool vision. This isn't really happening to me right now. And he gets out. He goes, man, I'm out. Wow, this really did happen. So watch what happens next. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. They're still doing what they're supposed to do. Now, I, something interesting I saw, and I, I'm going to let this bother you a little bit. This, this, I've read this before, and I've always just assumed, man, Peter got arrested, the people prayed, an angel was sent to let Peter out. And I've always linked that because the people prayed earnestly for him, God sent an angel to, to release Peter. Well, it dawned on me because I like to ask a lot of questions sometimes. Well, what? What if the people hadn't prayed? What if they had just gone, well, too bad, Peter, Peter got arrested. Man, it's a shame, poor, poor guy. I'm glad it wasn't me, right? <laughs> uh, man, you know, he was kind of mean sometimes. No, but, but what, if, what if they hadn't locked themselves away? Would God have still said, man, I'm going to send my angel to rescue him? Or is it only because of their prayer? I don't know, right? Man, we, that sounds like a whole other lesson we're not going to do today. But, uh, but God sent his angel and got Peter out. And so he shows up and he knocks on the door. And here's what's incredible to me. He knocks on the door and a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer the door. And when she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. So she runs back into the inner room of the house and says, hey, Peter's out here. Peter's at the door. Peter's out here. And their response was, oh, great. We've been praying for him. We figured he'd get out of jail, right? Their response was, well, I, let's let him in because we knew that God would answer our prayer. No, their response is, Rhoda, <laughs> you're out of your mind. Have you, have you lost it? There's no way Peter's out there. That, and she says, no, it's, it's him. I know it's him. I know his voice. I heard him. And they say, they come to the logical conclusion, well, it must be his angel, right? I mean, because that makes sense, right? I mean, uh, I don't know how that, why would, that, why would they say that? What is they, does Peter have an angel and have they seen his angel? But they, well, it can't be Peter. There's no way it's Peter. And so this is where I'm, I'm reading this. I'm going, wow. I'm feeling, for a moment, I'm feeling pretty good about myself because I'm going, man, they were just praying for something and they didn't even believe it happened, right? I mean, what short-sighted faith is that? that they would pray for Peter and then not even believe that he was there. And sure enough, they did. They opened the door and they let Peter in and it was really him and they saw him and they talked and then Peter went on to another, another town. But then I started to really think about this and really dwell on it and soak it in. And I thought, you know what? That's not, that's not short-sighted faith. These people, this church was in a room praying for something that they did not believe could happen. They were praying for something that was impossible, right? Because Peter had chains on him and there were guards and there were gates and there was so much stuff that there was no way he could physically get out of that jail 
unless, unless God intervened in some unreal way. And I thought, man, what if my prayers looked more like that? What if I was willing to pray? Because sometimes we don't want to put God in that, that tough spot, right? Like, man, if I pray for something and then God doesn't do it, and then what does that mean? And why do you know? Now it's okay. God can handle being put in that spot. He can handle our prayers. He can handle us asking for things that are impossible. And here's what I would tell you, and I've seen people in this place do this. It's okay to ask for things that are impossible, but I think what we've got to do is we can be praying for one thing while we are processing something else, okay? I can be praying for something that doesn't seem likely, I'm processing the reality that I'm living through, right? And I'm walking through it. I'm going, man, it looks like this is coming and it's not going to be a good outcome or it's not going to be my desired outcome or I'm not sure how we're going to get through this. It's still okay to pray for the impossible. I, remember, I'll never forget, I was praying for something one time and it didn't seem possible. And, and I knew that. I thought, man, it, just, it doesn't look like this is going to happen. But I continue to pray for a miracle. And I'll never forget having a conversation with, with somebody who was older and wiser than me. And we were talking about this situation and what was about to happen. And I said, you know, I'm still praying for a miracle. I, I, don't, I, I know it probably won't happen, but I'm still praying for it. And this, this person kind of respectfully told me, well, Will, that, that's just not possible. That's, that's not possible. And I said, well, and we kind of did disagreed with each other I said it's possible God could choose to do this thing that I'm asking for it's not likely and I think this person was trying to protect me because they they thought what I meant was man I'm just I have to have a miracle I wasn't saying that I had to have a miracle I wasn't saying I was depending on a miracle I wasn't saying that I was just saying God could do a miracle here right and if he doesn't okay Okay, we can get through this. I think that's his way of saying, hey, you're strong enough to, to get through this, but we can ask for the impossible while processing reality that is in front of us, right? And our God is big enough to handle that. Our God is big enough to put up with that. I'm going to let Mark and his team come back up while I kind of wrap up. I want to just point you back for just a minute. To, first of all, back to Luke 11 where, where the disciples said, Lord, Teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. What does that look like? And man, remember, it wasn't hours on a mountain. It wasn't a certain physical position. It wasn't letting everybody know about how I pray. No, it was just, it's something short. He said later, do it by yourself in your room. And then he reminded them, your father knows what you need before you ask him. And I just want to encourage you to try to work on letting that be the rhythm Make that, let that muscle memory, make that automatic. Oh yeah, he knows. He knows what I need before I ask.